You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's the APC Podcast here from AcmePackingCompany.com and SB Nation. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. I am Zach Rapport in Queens helping to set the table here for an interview that Alex Patakis, Ben Foldy, and I did with Justice Mosqueda at Jumosk on Twitter, J-U-M-O-S-Q, the incomparable Justice Mosqueda. He ranks very highly in our pantheon of Smarty Pants guests, and uh, he was nice enough to once again stop by and drop some serious knowledge on us relative morons. That's Alex, Ben, and I. We're morons. Not you guys. You guys are smart. And that's why you read the blog, subscribe to the show, and review us on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter, at the APC Pod, because you're super smart, right? Right. Since we last talked with you guys, Pro Bowl selections were announced. So big ups to Devante Adams for getting the nod. It is partly a popularity contest, so Aaron Rodgers also gets in. Congrats to those guys. Uh, more proof that it's a popularity contest. David Bakhtiari gets snubbed. Yet again, this guy is criminally underappreciated. Uh, he was, though, named an alternate alongside fellow lineman Corey Lindsley, as well as Kenny Clark. So some nice news as an otherwise disappointing season nears a merciful end. Speaking of being near the end, we spoke earlier this week on this show about our consensus opinion that Aaron Rodgers should sit out the last two games. Uh, while there hasn't been an official announcement by the team as of right now, which peek behind the curtain is late at night on Wednesday evening, uh, he was, Aaron Rodgers was, that is, adamant during his Wednesday availability that, that he is indeed playing. He cited uh, leadership, competitiveness, etc., and so on. As I tweeted out last night, I want Aaron Rodgers to want to play, but I want Aaron Rodgers to not play. But hey, that's just me. I know that's a slightly controversial take. All right, guys, it is time now to talk potential coaches and the upcoming changes throughout the building in Green Bay uh, with our friend and yours, Justice Mosqueda. The number you dialed is Packing Company. Excited to talk to our next guest. I believe the last time we spoke to Justice Mosqueda was at uh, the end of the preseason when there was a lot of Packers optimism uh, heading in. The Packers season is now over. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Gambling uh, advice at Quant Edge. Uh, you can check that stuff out. You can also listen to the Setting the Edge podcast with Justice and Charles McDonald and also more football coverage at Optimum Scouting. He's a busy man, but uh, he's a kind job. enough to, uh, to give us uh, some of his time here to talk about the Packers and also his, uh, his anti-Mike Patton takes. So, Justice, uh, <laughs> thanks a lot for 
joining us here. How, by the way, how how is it going at Quant Edge? This has been a weird NFL season. How are you? Uh, how are you making out? Sixty-one percent, baby. Top one percent better. You already know. Yeah, I'm I'm killing it. It's just like a lot of ugly things, though. Like that's the problem. Is like at the beginning of the year, it's a lot of sexy picks, basically, right? Because I do a pretty good job of being able to project where teams are going to go. I'm a re- honestly like I'm better at uh, team totals than I am doing point spreads, right? Mm. So like team totals, I'm really good. So I have a pretty good edge on like, hey, I'm probably going to bet on good teams. You know, in the first probably two months of the season, you're going to take Denver at home. Yeah, once it gets down to now, I'm like, we need to take the Bengals over the Raiders, <laughs> and it's just like we got to trust trust uh, Jeff Driscoll. Yeah, so, but we're making money, baby. What has been like the most reliable thing? Because I feel like, you know, for for me, like a layman in terms of you know trying to have some action on games, there's it's been like nothing reliable. What what do you find without giving I think, it too I much think away? Technically, the the bills are the most profitable team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a weird year for sure. Um, but the biggest thing for me is just look at NEA value and stuff like that. That's a pretty good predictor of what talent is. I, if I would say, look at any two numbers that are like super publicly available, look at uh, NEA, right? Which is basically just uh, yards per pass. And it treats touchdowns like an additional 20 yards and interceptions like a negative 45 yards. Also includes sacks. So measure that for offensive defense. That pretty much gives you how valuable that offense or defense is. Run games are super volatile compared to passing games. And then the other thing that I would look at is close games. So games decided by one score are essentially coin flips. Um, no team is good at winning close games over an extended period of time, period. This happens in college. Like I, I looked at it for college football, and it's something like, Wyoming has been like the best team in close games in like the last decade or something like that. Like close games are almost completely random. What the real signal is, is being able to beat teams by multiple scores, which is, you know, more than one bounce of a ball, which makes more sense. Right. Yeah. I would say that's handy advice. uh, Looking into uh, 2019, as you start to go into some of these season totals, because uh, I only placed two um, bets uh, prior to the season. It was the under on both the Jaguars and the Raiders. And I mean, that was easy. money. (laughs) It was was some pretty easy uh, shit right there. Not to toot my own horn. I I, I lost one on that uh, throughout the course of the season. (laughs) But it's funny you mentioned the Bills. My my the the only anti Bills thing I did all season was pick up for some God forsaken reason. The Jets defense and fantasy against them, because for like four consecutive weeks, the high like one of the highest performing like fantasy players, if you could call it that, was like the team playing the Bills on defense. And yeah. that was when uh, we all know that the didn't Jets get lit up for like 40 something points or something like that. It was, just, no, it was like a Thursday I was, night on, game. I was on the wrong end of the, the Minnesota game. Oh, so. yeah. Oof. Not, not great. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway. All right. So uh, we did want to talk to you because you've been pretty uh, vocal on Twitter, I guess, about uh, how you feel about Mike Patton now. He's someone that on this podcast, that we've had some pretty nice things to say. We stand uh, patent about. I would say. Yeah, I would. I would say so. And uh, we even did like a thing where we were trying to like warm ourselves up to the idea of Mike Patton, like maybe even being a head coach, because we were worried about like the progress made on defense this year. So just like unleash it on us. Tell us why we're probably misguided in thinking that Patton's done a good job with the Packers this year. I mean, they have a borderline bottom ten pass defense which, like, I get that they've made progress, but that still isn't good, you know? 
my whole thing was like the Fangio thing. Like that's what I prefaced it with on Twitter where I'm like, if Vic wants to come in and he gets the head coaching job, right? Chicago can't block him from interviewing for the head coaching job. Um, like if he wants to tell Penn to, to go away, that's, that's totally fine with me. Fangio is like the only guy in the NFL right now who like consistently produces quality defenses. I guess you could look at like Baltimore and probably even Buffalo now, but like Buffalo is doing that with like pretty strong secondary help, right? Like really, really strong. I would say Baltimore too. Um, so I, I don't know, like Vic's done it with um, San Francisco and stuff like that. So I, I'm more willing to just basically clean house if, if Vic wants to come in. I mean, I'm not sure anyone on staff deserves to keep their families here, right? Everyone should have to look their families in the eye and say, hey, we have to move halfway across the country because we're bad at our job. <laughs> I would say that's true for almost everybody on the Packers, but I just haven't, I haven't been convinced in any of these games that Mike Pettin is the fall guy. It's just co- collectively. So, like, they're going to be in a problem if they keep everyone together, I think. Because, like, the secondary is outside of Alexander, right? A lot of high picks who haven't turned out. Yeah. So it's going to be the same guys coming. If you bring back the same guys who drafted them, um, the same guys who coached them in practice, it's going to be the same guys on the field, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't think anyone wants that. Like, do we want another low average defense again on this team? Like, I, I think it's, it might be time to pull the plug, man. That's all I'm saying. Like, if Vic comes in, sure. If not... If it's like McDaniel's, like if it's McDaniel's, I'm I'm way more worried of basically getting a difference maker on the offensive side, right? Who like he'll control the offensive side. The offense will probably get better, um, but pairing him up with someone who's going to make a difference on the defensive side, that's that's a little shaky at this point. Like outside of Vic, um, there's not really a defensive coordinator, like I said, who's really a big old difference maker. So unless you're going to dip down to the college level and grab a guy like. I don't know, like a Dave Aranda or convince like a Brent Venables to make the jump. Um, outside of that, man, like it's going to be really hard to get excited about anyone on the defensive side. I think it's just not, we're not in a climate right now where there's a lot of defensive uh, game changers at this point who aren't already like coaching Alabama. Uh, I mean, what, <laughs> what, what say you to, you know, a lot of the best teams in the NFL right now don't, can't do shit on defense. Like Kansas city is God awful. Right. Like, Right. So, well, I would say I would say the best two of the best three teams probably can. So, like Chicago is on a historical run right now, right? Like their defense, honestly, is um, amazing. I, by the end of the year, yeah, if you look at NEA value, uh, they might be second best pass defense ever behind the 2002 Buccaneers. It might be 2003. I think, I think 2002, 2002 sounds right. Yeah, they got about 117 turnovers, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, turnovers actually important. Yeah, <laughs> who knew? <laughs> yeah. More important than throwaways. The, the one thing that jumps out at me about building the team around defense, which I don't think you're actually saying you want to do, but you don't. No, 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 no. It's, it's really hard. That's, that's the problem, right? It's really hard to build around defense. Like, you look at Chicago, they don't have, like, their weakest starter is probably, like, Adrian Amos, uh-huh. right? Like, he's an average player, you know? Yeah. So, like, when, you're, when your worst player is an average player, that's pretty hard to do. You have to hit on a ton of draft picks in a row. And then the other thing, too, is every veteran in Chicago is basically on the first year of their contract. Yeah. And the way contracts work, right. Is like, you're, you know, it, it, your salary jumps from year to year. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, they're not going to be able to keep this team 
to get like in three years, this team is going to be broken apart, scattered across the NFL. That's how this thing works, right? Yeah. Well, that's um, the Jaguars this, is, this year, right? Like you can't keep the defense well, together that way. Watch, watch until next year. Like they're going to have to cut. A, like they're they're already cutting. Uh, who is it? They cut a safety. They cut Church. They're probably going to get rid of Gibson. They're probably going to get rid of uh, Bouye. And they moved um, the edge guy to LA. Yeah, they got rid of Fowler because he was costing just entirely too much, and he wasn't actually good. Good for them for getting the pick from. Um, and then. They're probably going to have to dismantle their defensive line just to get out of the Blake Bortles contract, right? So I think we're going to look at Jacksonville next year and say, this looks nothing like it looked like in 2017. Like, that's just kind of how, you know, these decisions were made in boardrooms, guys. Like, it's not that hard. It's not an indictment of, like, how tough you are in the NFL and stuff like that. It's just boardrooms were decided, right, with NFL owners, and they said, we would like to redistribute non-quarterback talent across the league. So it's hard to build a team around anything else other than that, which is why I think it's hard to find quality defensive minds, right? Um, and that's why I think in the NFL, there's basically one difference maker on the defensive side of the ball right now, and it's Vic Fangio. So go, go grab him if you can. Right. So I guess now that we're kind of in this like bigger picture, like the way you construct your team, the window that they have, like what, what is, I, it sounds like Vic Fangio would be, on this list, if not the top of the list, in terms of guys you find to be the most sensible uh, candidates for the Packers head coaching job, um, who are those guys? Because we've had the debate, like, well, do you want an offensive head coach again? Or if you could have a guy like Fangio who could come in and all you really need is to find, like, that one next young, brilliant offensive coordinator. Granted, that's not easy. That can also just kind of keep Rodgers happy. Like, the head coach himself doesn't have to be worried about that shit. Um What's what's Justice Mosqueda's wish list right now? Yeah, so like the other thing too, like I mentioned, is it's a lot easier to find an offensive coordinator difference maker relative to you know kind of the knuckle dragging NFL versus the other way around where you have an offensive mind. He's probably just going to hire his buddy, and his buddy's going to be average or below average, right, on the defensive side. That's basically how this kind of thing works out. Um, I don't know. Like a lot of the guys who interest me, honestly, are at the college level. So like McDaniel's and Tangio are the only guys who really do anything for me at the NFL level. But like, if you could get a Saban, right? Like pitch Saban. Hey, literally, Aaron Rodgers. A big thing for Saban is like this podcast called Podcasting Play Nobody. It's SB Nation's podcast that has their journalists on there. Um, Stephen Godfrey. He's talked a lot about how. You know, the big thing for Saban is that he basically gets to run a local economy, right? Right. Where he's like, hey, my players are spending too much time getting, you know, out, getting out of practices and going to Chick-fil-A, and it's taking them forever to, like, get <laughs> to back to the football facility, and we're losing practice time. I'm going to go ask donors to build a Chick-fil-A in the practice facility, right? And that happens in a week, right? So, like... In Green Bay, where you're like basically controlling the local economy, I think you kind of get the same sort of dynamic, and you also get to pitch him like redemption for, you know, his you know quote unquote failure in the NFL, even though he really didn't do that bad, and he gets the benefit of having Aaron Rodgers, right? So go pitch him that. The other guy that I think is interesting is uh, Chris Peterson, who's coaching at University of Washington. Yeah, and if you just look at the Boise State tree, man, like these guys never fail. Like they legitimately have like a coaching streak stretching from Boise, from when Peterson was there, right, to Washington when Peterson was there, to post Peterson Boise when he was there, and on offense and defense, they just never miss. Like they clearly have 
some sort of talent in that tree that is replicable, right? Um, and I think it's it would be interesting to try to get into that. And I mean, Peterson's built a a power at at Washington. I think they won what three Pac-12 titles or something like that. I know a lot of people don't watch Pac-12 football. I think the year that they went to the playoffs, they didn't have a single game that was nationally broadcast that was before like 8 p.m. Eastern or something like that, right? So it's not like they're in a position where you can really watch their games unless you're really trying to if you're out east. But Or in my case, if you're like at the gym and it's like 10 o'clock at night and you're like, oh, shit, there's football on right now? I'll watch that while I'm biking. <laughs> there's football on? Arizona State UW? Why not? Yeah. So I think Peterson would be an interesting guy because I think he can like, he's probably the most valuable coach outside of Nick Saban, in my opinion, at the college level. And he just never misses on coordinator hires or anything. So I think he would be a really interesting guy. I mean, um, Ryan's quarterback coach from last year went to go be his OC and then or split his OC gig, I think. And then they have this other guy named Matt Lubick, who's the OC there, who's probably going to get a head coaching job at some point and just, they're just crazy, man. They just pump these coaches out like it's nothing. It doesn't matter who's coaching. They just make the right hire every single time. I think that's a legitimate talent at this point when he's like 12 years into his career or whatever. Yeah, certainly. Um, and, it, you know, it's like it's it's hard to identify a lot of these guys, which is interesting why you talk about like the continued success even post-Peterson or like everywhere that Peterson has gone because um, like – a lot of, you know, the McVeighs and everybody of the world, like they, when they, when those hires were made, like there was probably evidence of them succeeding in a lot of places, but it wasn't the obvious guy, you know, like it wasn't the right. Mike Lincoln. McCarthy wasn't the obvious well, guy. Well, yeah, he wasn't either, but I'm saying like, it almost sounds like, yeah, okay. Lincoln Riley sounds great, but it's like, there's, I don't know. There's more to, uh, it's more to just like finding the guy who happens to coach the number one offense this year and being like, well, that's the guy. The only, the only thing that is certain is that no matter who they hire over half of Packers Twitter will be very upset. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They all I have like, pa- someone guys. on Packers Twitter was asking if we should trade a first round pick for a punter yesterday. So was it Mike Sherman? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, we didn't get to talk to you when all of this was happening. Um, but I did want to ask like, cause I, cause I saw most of your tweets and I feel like, you know, I fell into the same camp, but like, how weird was the whole like anti Rogers thing from the standpoint that like, yeah, he could play better, but it just seemed like why, why did people look for like reasons to take him out? That was so weird. It's still happening. I mean, yeah, sure. I'm just yeah. like, learning to block it out now. Cause yeah. I just can't it's, a, yeah. it's pretty weird. And the other thing too, is like a lot of these stats that are being used for him are like, um, like EPA and stuff like that. And like QBR, but like those like over, I would say, at least. But I think of things from, like, a gambling perspective. So I think of things that are, like, constant or non-constant, right? Like, things that are actually actionable in the future. Um, They over-leverage high-leverage situations. So, like, a throwaway on, like, a third down or, like, a sack means a lot more than it would on any other play. But in the reality of a football game, like, all plays are fucking equal, man. We, we like, socially construct that those plays are more important, right? And we know that those plays aren't super consistent year to year. I mean, all you have to do is watch Carson Wentz, right? Carson Wentz was crazy on third down last year. He's not this year. It happened. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just kind of like, Deshaun Watson had like, uh, what was it? Like an 11% touchdown percentage last year? Doesn't have that this year. We know those those stats are pretty unstable and a lot of it's based off of like field position and other things. So, we're basically, like a lot of things where basically like 20 data points, right, at the end of games that people were just over leveraging 
what Rodgers was doing rather than the rest of the game. The weirdest thing to me was the, like, he needs to throw more, more interceptions thing. Oh. Like, stop throwing the ball, like, throw more interceptions. There, people are all over that. Give me a break. I did actually kind of like Badger Noonan's piece on that yesterday, though. So Badger Noonan wrote it comparing it to Zach Granke. And Zach Granke, apparently, for one year, got really into FIP as a pitching stat, fielding independent pitching. Yeah. So he was, like, trying to avoid, like, the three true outcomes in, in, that matter for FIP are, like, strikeouts, walks, and home runs. So he was just kind of trying, like he would he would put balls in play in order to avoid like walks, basically. Like he would pound the zone. Right. And it actually ended up like individually, like FIP is a good predictor of ERA, but like when you pitch to it too much, like trying to avoid the negative play, it actually ended up dragging his his ERA down. And like it did put balls in play. But I think uh like when you watch the game, like what I don't think it was the Arizona game. It might've been the game before that where it was like a third down or like a second and long or something like that. Right. So some high leverage situation there, um, like halfway through the fourth. And like the concept was like to the trip side, right. To the trip side, it was an out and out and a vertical. And logically that's not any sort of progression, right? Like that's a play by faith that we hope one-on-one this guy can get this route open. Yeah. There's, there's no crossing routes, right? There's no switch releases. There's no, like, that's not a progression. Right? That's, that's been the story for years call. in Green Bay. Yeah, that's, that's a call by faith. But the issue was, so, like, Rodgers looked at it, right? And he's staring down the trip side, and they finish running the outs, and they hit the sideline, right? Mm-hmm. And then it just ends up being three guys standing on the sideline, not trying to get open at all, right? <laughs> yeah. So you see... You see Rodgers like, oh, shit, these guys don't know how to run a scramble drill. So then he, like, bails out, and then he, like, flips his hips right, rolls out to the other sideline, and then ends up throwing this perfect pass to Devontae Adams. But I think that's a lot of it, too, where people talk about, you know, a lot of these throwaways because of, like, you know, young wide receivers playing in scramble drills. I would probably say, yeah. Yeah. And the reason that they have to go into scramble drills is because a lot of these concepts are, like, played by faith. You know, it's not played by progression. Yeah. And I mean, not, yeah, I mean, he's sure he's playing hurt. I guess he's missing more throws than usual. But I just I I take the opinion of I don't know how any Packers fan can have suffered through having suffered through watching Brett Hundley lead this team for nearly a whole season, how they can then think that Aaron Rodgers is the problem. It's obvious. I mean, there's. I just, I'm like, I'm beyond words. It's so like, again, he's not beyond criticism, but it's, he's not the problem. Everyone wants that. Like I've said it before, but it's like the race to the top of take mountain where you've got the one thing and everyone wants to be the person to say, this is the one thing. And it's the sexy thing right now to say Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. This is a very odd, very odd situation going on right now. And I do think, yeah, I mean, you got to think of it from like a writer's perspective too, right? Like you got to write something. There's, four months of the NFL season and this team keeps losing. You can't just keep saying it's boring content to keep saying, yeah, this is probably unsustainable, right? Like this is kind of like, what was it? 2009, 2009, 2010. What was the? I can't remember what year it was where they lost a bunch of close games. Nine. Um, it was nine. His first year as a yeah. starter, they were six and yeah, 10, but, but like, I think like nine of those was, 10 losses were by a like a score or two. Yeah. Yeah. So this is very much like that. That's why I'm not, you know, worried long term. I'm worried more 
about like little individual things, like the wide receiver thing. Like you got to remember, like the splits for these reps, you know, in camp, right? Like we have way less practice time than we did pre 2011, which is why like later round picks aren't even hitting at all, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why it seems like uh, the New England Patriots are basically just buying like expiring rookie contracts because they're like we would rather get this guy like. Danny Stone, for example, right? Like, we would rather get a former first-round pick who is probably, like, a third, fourth-round pick talent than actually have to bank on a rookie playing significant time because mm-hmm. it's just not happening anymore, right? Um, and it's constructed, again, by decisions in boardrooms. Like, we don't have to get mad about this. And, like, this generation of football is way different. Like, they, they're not allowed to practice. Like, that matters a lot. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think that has a lot to play with it. I think now that it's very clear that Baldus Scanling and um, Equinemius St. Brown are going to be, you know, pretty big pieces for this team moving forward. Agreed. I think, it's, yeah, I, I think they're going to get a lot more reps um, throughout the process. I think that's going to matter a ton, especially the way, um, you know, Roger Scramble drills worked out. Jimmy Graham, clearly a bad contract. I yeah. mean, he is who he was at the end of the Seattle uh, run, where he's basically just a red zone target. It is what it is. That's what he was. They overpaid him. They can't get out of the contract. It's sunk in cost. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, like, it, it was just a bad decision. And then, um, like, the guard situation is not great. Right tackle is shaky as hell now that, like, Brian Belaga just can't stay healthy for 16 games. And then the defensive side just needs more talent, right? So I think those are the issues that we got to solve is basically, like, the offensive line and then just keep adding talent on the defensive side. Are you going to the Senior Bowl this year? I will be. Yeah, I will be. I actually uh, got it confirmed yesterday. So, yeah, I'll be down there. So nice. you'll, And you, you tend to watch the big uglies down there, right? Yeah, I basically I follow um, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. I watch all the one-on-one drills. I don't really care about what DBs and wide receivers do when, you know, there's no real pass rush or anything. So right. the one-on-one drills really don't do it for me for – the skill players, I just pretty much watch the offensive line and defensive line, and those are the guys who are important anyway. So, And they'll be important to the Packers coming up in this draft. They will be. We'll see if they can get into the top tier of pass rushers. Because the, the thing, too, is, um, what was it? I had someone in my mentions who was like, there's no Quentin Nelson this year. And I was like, how high do you think the Packers are drafting? Like, Quentin Nelson was talked about as a potential top five pick, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Joey, or uh, not Joey Bosa. Nick Bosa is not going to be there, right? Um, what's his name? Oliver from Houston isn't going to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what's his name? Williams from Alabama isn't going to be there. Like, the Packers are going to be picking the second-rate or second-tier player no matter what position. Like, the blue-chip guys are going to be off the board. Yeah. Unless, like, uh, I don't know what happened. Like, a Derwin James falls into the lap again, but we'll see if they trade back out of it. But... Uh, they did sell it with the Jair Alexander pick, but uh, that's kind of where they're going to be picking again this year. They're not going to be picking at the top of the draft, and it's not like quarterbacks are going to be pushing guys down. There's probably only going to be one first-round quarterback who comes out and Dwayne Haskins. So. If you have a choice in the matter, does Rodgers start this Sunday? No, keep him out. The worst thing that you can do is have him blow out his, blow out his ACL or something. All right, we're all in agreement. I was just curious <laughs> if you had any well, you're gonna You're going to recruit a coach who, who, like, year one you have to start Deshaun Kaiser for 16 games. Yeah. No, that's not, that's not going to be a great situation. Oh, it's not. Oh. Plus we know that like if quarterbacks are coming off the injury, you have to look at like, um, Cam 
Flacco wins this year, right? Like it matters a lot if you miss time leading up to the season. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter if you're ready week one. If you miss the entire preseason recovering from injury, you're still going to be bad, period, right? So yeah. I don't know. Nope. We're all in agreement. Yeah. I was just curious if you had some contrarian take that I could, <laughs> but no, nah, we're all yeah. good on that. No, put it, put his ass on IR for a groin injury. Don't let him, don't let him play another snap. Meaningless football. Yeah. Uh, as disappointing as it is, as people who reside here in New York and we're going to try to see a game in person. Ain't no way uh, that they should be taking that risk. Um, all right. Well, we uh, we appreciate your time. I know we didn't get to dive too much into draft stuff, but uh, hopefully we can do that maybe later on this offseason. There's plenty of time to uh, to go ahead and do that. So uh, appreciate it, man. And looking forward to uh, catching up again sometime down the road. Anytime, guys. That's all for us this week. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Justice Mosqueda for joining us. Thanks to Chad Bernhardt and Amber Watson and the Craig Newmark School of Journalism for helping us out as they have all season long. Next week is is a holiday week, so not sure what the content situation is quite yet, but we'll be sure to keep you posted uh, on that on Twitter at the APC pod. So stay locked in there. We'll let you know what's going on. All right, guys, Packers at Jets this weekend. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's see what happens. See you later. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.